Welcome to the One Question Podcast, brought to you by Wabi Sabi Studios. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, and I love having unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. It's a huge passion of mine, so much so that I wrote a few books a while back that challenge people's notion on living a life more unconventionally. This entire podcast stems around one question. If there was one topic you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? What would the world look like if we were all authentic? We expected everybody to bend to our values because they're the right ones. Now think of a world that was completely sincere. All I had in mind, Michelle, is your well-being. You tell me which world would actually be a better place to live in. Dr. Tom Tonkin is a self-described recovering executive whose academic and professional experience make him a wealth of knowledge on organizational leadership and development. He currently serves as a CEO of the Conservatory Group, an organization that provides businesses with high-touch services to improve management, sales strategy, and team performance. Tom is a firm believer in the power of sincerity to help people live more fulfilling lives, and it was something I wanted to explore more deeply with him. He's currently writing a book on the topic, which has involved a significant amount of research. This is something he loves. With so much turmoil and disagreement in today's world, Tom is a breath of fresh air whose philosophies offer enlightening perspectives on business, politics, relationships, and more. I love chatting with academics as they often have such unique perspectives on the world. Tom, it is awesome to have you on the podcast all the way from Denver. So welcome. Thank you, Michelle. I appreciate it. And technology allows us to have these kinds of conversations. So I'm excited to be able to speak to what apparently is not a very warm Australia. No, right not now. at the moment. It's a bit fresh. But as we were just talking about before we came on air, us Australians are not very good. I'm in Sydney, so we're not we're not well equipped. So I'm sitting here with 5,000 blankets on me. But it's lovely to chat. Let's dive straight in. If there is one thing that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? I'm going to frame it as relationships specifically around being more sincere with each other. Nice. What a great topic. It sounds so pithy if I were to say this, but unfortunately it's true. It's kind of my life's work. And I don't think you pick your life's work. I think your life's work picks you because you tend to gravitate to some kind of passion. And the next thing you know, you found yourself researching on sincerity like I have for the last several years. Researching sincerity for years. So what, what does that entail? And let's dive into that a little bit more. Why is it such a topic that you're passionate about? So it was back in, I think, the early 2000s that the term authenticity bubbled up as a relationship moniker trait that we should all have. I was all in. This is what we should all know. This is how we should develop. All the way to the point that I ended up applying for my PhD in 2009 and started down the path of developing authenticity as a way of bolstering relationships and, and increasing their value and everything that you may want. Being all in, I was all in the sense of reading all the literature and doing the research and interviewing people and actually had an opportunity to interview one of the developers of authentic leadership, which is a construct that was developed in 2005. I'm just throwing these dates so it gives you a perspective of how long you know I've been churning on this. And 
I have to tell you something. The more I dug into the authenticity aspects of building a relationship, the less I was convinced. And I said, okay, well, if it's not this, then what is it? Like, what's the antithesis, the opposite of authenticity? And you would think, well, why would you want the opposite of authenticity? It's like inauthenticity or whatever that is. It's like, no, that's, that's not true. It ended up being sincerity. And a book that kind of turned for me was a book by Lionel Trillian written in 1972 called Sincerity and Authenticity, where he proclaims that authenticity is kind of the way we should go about doing this relationship thing. And I thought, okay, well, this is probably as good as any to, to read and to research and to tear apart. But again, now, mind you, he wrote this in 1972, and I think that's an important understanding. I'm reading this now in the mid-2000s, and so I'm thinking, okay, world's a different place, all of that. So they started looking at what does authenticity mean. Now, mind you, I probably should define this a little more, too. So authenticity, if you look at sort of the operational, dried research term, there's four dimensions. There's self-awareness, there's transparency, internal moral compass, and balanced processing. So the first two we understand, right? Your own self-awareness, the ability for transparency. Internal moral compass is you have some level of internal morality that allows you to make decisions and create friends. And then balanced processing is another academic term that basically says, I consider other people when making decisions and opinions about something. So those are basically the four dimensions that generate authenticity. Here's an interesting part about it. What about those four things? that are in common. It's easy to look past them, but all four things have absolutely really nothing to do with anyone else. It has everything to do with you, your self-awareness, your transparency, your morality, your ability to decide mm -hmm. whether or not you're going to connect with other people. Interesting. I've never really thought about it this way. Yeah. So authenticity is what's called self-referential. Self-referential means Michelle, you're the only person that will ever know whether or not you're acting authentic. Mm. I will never know how authentic or inauthentic you're being. That depends, again, maybe on your transparency. How much do you want to let me in on who you really are? But even then, you're still going to be in control of that. So I thought, okay, how useful is that when it comes down to developing relationships? It's all self-centered. It's all about me. What's the thing that it's about others that led me down the path of sincerity? Now, sincerity hasn't been very well developed like authenticity has. And so I took it upon myself to do that. And I came up with three dimensions of my own for sincerity. So just like I did for authenticity, I'll do for sincerity. The first thing is empathy. You have to have an empathic view of your relationship. Second is what's called sort of this non-coercive altruism. And I'll explain that in a second. And then thirdly is some kind of demonstrable affirmation. Now let's pause there. Let me ask you the same question about sincerity that I don't authenticity. What's in common with those three things? They all have to do with someone else. Yeah, empathy. Yep. Altruism. Right. So you, I mean, obviously empathy mm -hmm. suggests somebody else. Non-coercive altruism, that's somebody else. You're doing that to somebody else. And lastly, demonstrable affirmation. That's you're affirming someone else. And by the way, this is all done through research, through interviews, through all of the rigor that the academy brings to bear. And so what I've done is continue to develop that in a relationship manner. Now, for sake of brevity, I mean, we all know what empathy means, which is we're in other people's shoes. We have that same kind of feeling. The idea about non-coercive 
altruism is important because the academy and the literature and scholars are still kind of torn behind the word altruism because it would suggest I'm doing something for no benefit for others. However, sometimes the acts of altruism by itself is a benefit to us. All of us that hopefully sometime along our experience or past have given to the needy, to the poor in some way. Maybe we are our time or our finances. Arguably, sometimes that makes us feel good. And so how altruistic is it if altruism means no benefit? So that's why I kind of have that sort of non-coercive, you know, aspect of it. It's like not doing this to actually get any benefit. And then demonstrable affirmation is other than me saying to you that I care about you or that I want to take care of you or whatever that might be, there's got to be sort of a follow-up, a demonstrable affirmation that says, no, 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 that's what I mean. And it could be as simple as me, you know, touching your shoulder and saying, you know, I feel for you, I'm there for you, whatever that might be, or a hug or whatever that demonstrable aspect of it is important. And so those three dimensions add up to what I term sincerity. Now, if you put those side by side, which one do you think actually develops relationships further? Yeah, it's interesting. I've never really thought about it this way. There's urban legend around the term sincerity. I have to qualify with urban legend because there's no proof of what I'm about to say. However, it's a really good metaphor, so I want to use it. So apparently in ancient Greece, there was many sculptors that would sell their wares at the square. And some sculptors would make a mistake, nick it a little bit, and they'd get a little hole or something. They, you know, they made it, it wasn't smooth. It wasn't perfect. And so what they used to do is you'd take wax and they would fill in those holes with the wax. And people caught on to this and they said, I want an authentic piece, right? I want a, I want a real piece. And so what they would do is the buyer would say, look, I really like your piece, but I want to make sure that it's, there's no wax, put it in the sun and I'll be back in an hour because that's when the wax would melt. And the term sincerity came from sin, Sarah, without wax. Sin meaning without, Sarah meaning wax. That's a good term to kind of think of is how truthful are you, how caring or, or non-coercive are you in our relationship that I'm willing to show you all my blemishes as well. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's nice. So let's look then how do we apply this because that all makes really good sense and it's lovely to hear you know, your view of kind of the four dimensions of authenticity and the three dimensions of sincerity. So as a leader, let's look at it for that example for people listening. How do I bring this to life? Like what are the things that, you know, make sense when I'm leading lots of people or, you know, leading my family or all the different things? So the first one is empathy. This has kind of come out of uh, this example actually is in my, in my forthcoming book. And there's a chapter on empathy, as you can imagine. And as I was researching, I found an interesting piece from the actor Alan Alda, if you're familiar with his work and MASH and, you know, he's been around for a long time. And he was talking about wanting to practice empathy, just like you had said. And so he came up with this little game where everywhere he walked, he would look at somebody and he would kind of guess like what that person was feeling, what that person was going through. Were they sad? Were they happy? And he started to notice people a little more and sometimes he would nod or say hello or, you know, start engaging in conversation. And the entire time he was trying to exercise his empathy. Somewhere along the line, he actually told a PhD psychologist about this. And the psychologist goes, you know, you thought about this all by yourself. He goes, yeah. He goes, let's put that to test. Let's put some rigor behind it and see if that's really true. So there was a study based upon this hypothesis from, from Alan Alda. 
And here's what they came out with this. Here was the powerful part of empathy. It wasn't even the guessing part. It was the noticing. So you want to put this into practice instantly? Start noticing other people. Hmm. Just notice them. Just see them for what they are and what they wear and just know that they're present and they're of value to society. Not in a kind of creepy stalker way, but just so simple, having that perspective. Think about it now with, you know, our heads tucked in the phones, you know, just walking down the street. We're surprised I'm not hearing more people running into telephone poles more often with, you know, with their heads bowed down like that. Put it away. Look at other people. Notice. And then that empathic will continue. So, I mean, I think that's probably something you can put in practice, you know, immediately. It's a good point because you think about, you know, everyone wants to be seen and it is nice. You know the difference if you're sitting with someone, whether it is a friend or an employee or a boss even, and they're not present. It's disconcerting. Here's the fact, folks, is that people notice when you're not noticing. (laughs) I I think the other thing, uh, the the second one is this idea of non-coercive altruism, you know, this this non-manipulative aspects of it. I think the best way to practice that altruism, and it comes from my research, and again, I'll give you an example of the book, is a lot of that comes from noticing social injustice. So that's usually the thing that fires off sincerity is when we see somebody that is a victim of social injustice of whatever, whatever that means, whether it be some kind of bias or discrimination or, or just downright unfair play. You know, they just didn't get their due. And that fairness is sometimes even biased by either society, you know, society starts telling us what it is that's fair and unfair. But where can you reach into your own perspective of what is fair and practice it? There's a cartoon like an internet meme where you have three young boys looking over the fence to a baseball game and you have the tall boy who can see you've got the medium boy who can kind of see and you got the short boy who can't and equality means that they all get like a crate to stand on so everybody gets one crate the tall boy still can see the medium boy he can see and the little boy still can't see but he got his one crate that's equality fairness or altruism would be what the tall boy doesn't get a crate the medium boy gets one crate and the shortest one gets two crates Because guess what? They all get to see. We can go down this other path around diversity, equity, and inclusion, and equality, and all this other stuff. And it's like, you know, sometimes the goal is more important. The goal is to watch the baseball game. Every kid gets to watch. The tall kid doesn't need anything help. He could still watch the game. The short one needs two crates to watch the game. So think about that when you look at social injustice. And again, I use it metaphorically. How can you provide the right amount of crates to that person? And that's when you start talking about uncoercive altruism, because that's the right thing to do, because that's the goal that we want to participate in. Yeah, cute little analogy, actually, that will stick in your mind, I think. And I think lastly is this idea of demonstrable affirmation. We have all heard of the term, the golden rule, do others as you would have them do to you. It's a pithy saying. It's like, oh, it's, it's, it sounds noble and fresh and great. And it's like, yeah, that sounds great. And I would say that's not very helpful because the way you may want to be treated is not necessarily the way somebody else wants to be treated. And it kind of goes against the sincerity thing. So what I always say is treat others as how they would want to be treated. That's a lot harder because I have to get to know you 
you know, I have to understand your values and beliefs. By the way, having different values and beliefs is wonderful because that's how we learn. It's the conflict. Michelle, you and I talked about that before the podcast on how conflict actually is helpful in the learning process. And so that doesn't mean that I have to agree with everything you do. But if you hold a set of values and I want to be sincere, I need to work under your set of values, mm, not under mine. Yeah. So I tell people, think of the golden and the platinum rule when you engage in somebody in a relationship. It's easy to do the golden rule because I know my values and I can just apply them on you and, you know, my goodness, right? My values are right. Yours are wrong. And so you should be happy. It sounds ridiculous when I just said that. (laughs) But yet, that's exactly what we do every day. You're just like (laughs) dropping bombs, little things that you're saying with such a gentle voice, and it's like boom. (laughs) It's too early in the morning for me to think this much. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, hopefully, I've given everybody an opportunity to you know practice what it is—a little bit of the sincerity, give you some metaphors and analogies to move along. You know, these are all very, what I would call operational, you know, that's, a, that's another academic term that you, you know, you can actionable the ability to, to do that. My contention is that if you were to do these things, your relationship would be better. Now to wrap up that view from an authentic perspective, authenticity says what? Let me be real with you. Like if you look at the popular language, like here in the U S right. Hey, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you know, Michelle, I don't know. I don't know if I like your sweatshirt. Hey, look, I'm just saying, I'm just being real with you. And you're supposed to say, wow, Tom, thank you for being so real with me to tell me my sweatshirt's ugly. Now, how helpful is that? How's that going to make it a better thing to do? And yet, this is what we do every single day. We, we feel compelled to say things that arguably are irrelevant to the relationship, mm. maybe even downright hurtful. Mm. And it doesn't add up because we're just being self-centered. Imagine a world. Now, I always like to measure the extremes because it makes my point. Now that you have both these definitions and examples and metaphors, what would the world look like if we were all authentic? We were all self-centered. We only spoke what we wanted to speak. We expected everybody to bend to our values because they're the right ones. Now think of a world that was completely sincere. All I had in mind, Michelle, is your well-being and you had my well-being in mind and on and on and on and on. You tell me which world would actually be a better place to live in. And I mean, I think, I mean, I'll leave it at that. You just let your audience think about it and, you, you know, come back and tell me otherwise. You're spot on. All we've ever learned is about being authentic and that's a term we use all the time, but I would never have thought about it in the way that you have just articulated so beautifully to us today. So uh, you've given me a lot to think about personally. It's just wonderful. Dr. Tom Tonkin, what a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. And uh, hopefully I'll get to meet you over there one day because I've never been to Denver and I desperately want to come. Well, it's getting warmer here. So maybe you want to make that sooner than later. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me. Thanks, Tom. Well, there you have it. Wasn't that an incredible conversation? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you. If you did like it, can I ask a small favor? Please rate and review on your listening platform for me. 
I know everyone asks this, but it seriously makes a difference to help get these conversations out in the world and makes all the hard work and effort I put into this for you all the more worthwhile. And until next time, if you have one question you'd like to ask me, hit me up on my socials or jump on my website, michellejcox.com. 